Welcome everybody to another episode of the Real Abinov Podcast. Today I have guest Michael Cortina. He uh, met me on LinkedIn and we've uh, been talking for a little while and I just felt it was fitting because I talk a lot about brain optimization, personal health, physical health, spiritual health, and what better person to talk to someone who's been over 20 years in the industry of helping people come overcome trauma, you know, things like guilt, things that we all experience, you know, it could be abuse, could be many different things. So we're going to get into some of that today. Michael, I want to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Michael, let me hit you with it right out of the gates. Everybody in this podcast listening world, at least on my side, is familiar with Tony Robbins. And I saw a lot of the work that you've done, and I know you help people change their lives and transform them for the better. How are you alike or different, more specifically, than Tony Robbins? Great question. Coming out uh, strong out of the gate. So, um, you know, uh, Tony Rob, my understanding of some of Tony Robbins' background includes uh, NLP or neuro linguistic programming. Right. I too have studied neuro linguistic programming along with a host of other things. I would say, I, I think a key differentiator. You know, obviously, Tony's this this titan of the industry, right? And yet, I see some things that um, cause me a little concern. Um, a lot of times, things that are being addressed are being done at conscious level, conscious level activity, talking about positive thinking and talking about changing your thoughts and talking about getting rid of negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. I mean... These in and of themselves are not bad things. They're certainly better in the alternative, which is, you know, beating yourself up mentally. But truly, that's only going to go so far. It, it's kind of like if you got if you got a broken um, uh, arm and I come and put a bandage on it. I said, there you go, Abinaf, you're all set. It's, what? Dude, fix this. That, that's surface level stuff. And so people find themselves in this loop. And this is what I'm passionate about, getting getting things cleared up for people so that they can move on with their lives. So many people get caught in this self-help um, like vortex that they mm-hmm. can't get. Oh yeah, it's a drug in itself. Yeah, and if you have to continue to, if you have to continue to challenge your thoughts, your, your, your negative thoughts, thoughts that show up and replace them, that can get exhausting over time and it's not curative. So I think a key differentiator is that when I'm working with people, I'm working at a much substantially deeper level, subconscious level of mine to get things resolved and going in a different direction there such that they're, they don't need to even deal with um, the bandages because we're getting right to the true source and doing healing there, if that makes sense. Right. I think one thing you said that stuck out to me is instead of just replacing your thoughts with positive ones, which is a tactic that, yeah, sure, it works, but it's quite exhausting because it's laborious. You have to continually do it. So to me, that kind of speaks to the fact that you could fall into the trap of seeing that, wow, I'm my thoughts aren't perfect or they keep coming up and have to keep having to work on them. I would say, you know, in my perspective, it's or at least in my experience, is that it's better to just see that your thoughts are not always going to be positive and they're going to be negative ones and they're going to be memories that come up that are not yours that maybe aren't even you know, your own emphasized, like, you know, experience. It could be something that you grew up with in your family household or something that had culmination of all this unconscious data that we gather throughout our existence. And we don't really control when it kind of percolates its way up to our, you know, thought process. So why not accept all of your thinking? 
if, and then and then you know see okay I see all of my thinking some of it's good some of it's not so good and then notice that trend how much of that is of my thinking at least in my experience is negative versus you know how much of it is like in a good positive healthy state which makes me move forward you know that's a phenomenal point and and I was literally talking to somebody this morning somebody I was working with this morning about yeah. this exactly that the thoughts themselves in and of themselves are not problematic if you think about what the brain is designed to do mm. I mean let for a minute let's look at get a brain-based understanding of what's going on the brain is designed to bring into our awareness things that are dangerous so that we avoid them right that are dangerous or negative so that we avoid them it's also designed to bring in things to our awareness that are pleasurable so that we pursue them you know that food looks really good that's in line with the mission of me continuing to live another day mm. so we'll eat that really good piece good you know pizza piece of whatever <laughs> and then all of a sudden as i'm going to get that piece of food i see three pit bulls running at me foaming at the mouth looking like they haven't eaten in three weeks looking like they want to make lunch out of me how much of a priority do you think my brain is going to make that slice of pizza anymore right Your appetite yeah. probably disappears you run that's it and so our brain, what I tell people is your brain is going to give you negative thoughts. That's what it does. That what the game changer is people then start judging themselves in part because a lot of what they hear in the self-help movements shouldn't have these thoughts or you got to No, it's natural. It's normal that the brain gives you negative thoughts. When you release the judgment associated with those thoughts or you don't beat up on yourself for having a negative thought, that's incredibly freeing and and I would contend much more accurate to what's with what's going on with the hardware yeah because it's like you shouldn't be down on yourself just because you had an experience come up or a thought or emotion come up one thing that I've been reminding myself more of in the last two weeks is whatever feelings come up in me are not a statement of who I am whatever emotions come up in me are not a statement of who I am because just because I feel angry or I feel you know not motivated or stressed out or whatever that doesn't mean I am that person I'm a stressed out angry person right I, that's why I always kind of when it comes to labeling because we have to obviously use words to communicate I always go with I am peace and love you know but I just forgot every time that I'm not in a positive state I'm peace and love I'm not angry I'm not this stressed out person because you always have to kind of give yourself some direction why do I do that you know sometimes people ask me that's weird I don't understand why you say you're peace and love or you know talk about it that was simply for me is like if your mind is in a peaceful state, in a joyful, loving state, you're just going to be way more open to experiencing things that come up in life versus if you're in the sort of this angry, closed off, traumatic state, perhaps, you know, if it keeps reliving yourself, you're just not going to move forward in life with the full potential. So for me, it's more of like adjusting, you know, you have to you have to give yourself a target, so to speak, right? Like something that your mind is kind of keeping on its radar as you're navigating through your day to day. You know, at the lowest level, you know, what, what would you say that is in your experience working with so many different people and dealing with trauma? Like what were some of the common things or themes perhaps that come up, you know, more times than not? And, uh, you know, how, is there anything you can speak to about that? Like the commonality of what you've seen across many different years of working on this? Uh, on, under the umbrella of trauma? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it's a pretty, um, it, it's a pretty it's an umbrella that casts a far wide reaching shadow. Um, I, I have seen under the umbrella of trauma, everything from, you know, it's funny because 
I'll do a, when, when I do trainings and I do, you know, master classes and so forth, I am a minimalist on PowerPoint, uh, almost none. Yeah. But there was, I, I used to work for an organization and I, and I would um, train all the new clinical people that were coming in, the therapists and so forth. And I, I did have one slide in there, PowerPoint slide, that listed all sorts of examples of trauma. Everything from physical abuse, sexual abuse, you know, rape, wartime trauma, car accidents. And I would say this to people. I would say um, the last bullet point on this slide is the only thing keeping this slide alive in this presentation. I'll share what that was in a moment. But here's what I would say. I would say somebody comes in and they tell me, they are bothered, really upset by the one-time comment that their fourth grade teacher made to them. Mind you, they're 40 years old now. The one-time comment their fourth grade teacher made to them, and they, it still really pushes emotional buttons and causes a lot of dis-ease. And my response to that person is this. Oh, get over it, dude. You kidding me? I just talked to somebody who got incested for the last seven years by, by her own father. Get a grip. No, of course I don't say that. And it's the last bullet point that allows me to not say that. And that last bullet point is this. Traumatic events are individually defined. Mm. So I'm not so concerned what the person has been through. If it's bothering them here and now in the present day, I am completely invested in getting it resolved so it no longer bothers them. Looking through the lens of traumatic events are individually defined doesn't a beautiful thing for you you hear a lot of people talk about there's too much judgment in this world if you look through that lens it truly removes even the capacity to have judgment you then connect with somebody in an absolute and true judgment-free zone because i'm not so concerned whether they were raped whether it was domestic violence, whether they got in a car accident, whether it was the fourth grade teacher, there's no judgment. If it's bothering you, that's what your brain is doing. And I'm interested in getting that resolved. I love that. So you're basically saying that there's no blanket answer for, you know, the trauma that you've seen. You've seen a variety of different things and you obviously have to deal with them at a case by case basis because what's real to somebody is may not be as, as you know traumatic or real to somebody else. And that's that's fair. And that's a, that's a fair point because everybody experiences life through their own perspective, their own lens, through their own body, their own emotions, and their everything else. So, you know, each of us see the same life with different viewpoints. And what we take away from it and what we gather, you know, is really unique to ourselves. Now, if we tend to go into a corner where we're now like hating life and the world around us because of the things that we've processed out of that information or the way we've chosen to listen to our mind and the thoughts, that can become a problem, right? Like for me, this is a good segue to talk a little bit about social media. Like how much data unconsciously are you absorbing continuously scrolling through any platform today? You know, name your favorite one. So it's like how much of that that stays with you even when you're not looking at a screen or you know you're just walking around but you're still thinking about something somebody said online or how much engagement you get got or didn't get you know and and kind of like what has been your experience in the recent years of social media you know and, and kind of the trauma that's being created by that yeah and, and if i may just say one more thing about the the last piece and sure. that 
And that is, um, you're right. It, it's everybody's brain is different. So let's say I get in a car accident today. I get T-boned and I'm freaked out. I'm like, I don't want to see the car keys. I'm not driving again. I'm certainly not going down that street anymore. Forget it. And you get in a car accident, you get T-boned, exact same accident. Hmm. You get and before you could blink your eyes, you're over at Enterprise, rent a car, like, give me the keys, give me the keys. You want to get on the road. What's the difference? We both got T-boned. Hmm. The only difference is the way that my brain processed it. The neural pathways laid it down as a traumatic event. Your brain, not so much. So there's absolutely differences in how our brains process information and once more, um, no judgment with that. It just is what it is. The brain's an organ. Yeah. Well, before we move on to the social media question, I, I guess I would ask, have you noticed that there is a trend in, you know, when people say like, you know, if they're, they feel things more aggressively than maybe than other people, like, I don't know if aggressively is the right word, but meaning if someone tends to, I can speak for myself, like I know I'm more neurotic than I'm, than, than not, right? Like I'm a high, I have a high level of neuroticism in my own kind of thinking. I have lots of negative thoughts. I tend to wake up in the morning and not be like rightly in the positive state. I have to do certain things to get myself, you know, going, but that's just something that I've identified of myself. And now I, you know, have a action plan for it daily. You know, it starts with morning gratitude. I hug my wife and, you know, generally she'll ask me, you know, what are you grateful for today? And a lot of times I don't want to say, cause I ask a stupid question to ask in the morning, but at the same time, as much as I don't want to say it, giving a few answers to that really gets me to shift from whatever, you know, half plugged in dream state that I've been in to like this real conscious space that I'm now waking up into and then gets me moving on with my, my, with my day, you know, and then I start with, okay, I want to make sure I get some exercise in. So I'll go ride my bike for 20 minutes and I'm going to sit down and meditate, you know, write down a few thoughts that come to mind, get on with my day. Like that to me is sort of my way of charging myself up for success in the morning. But I'm curious, like, have you noticed our people are generally like on one side of the spectrum or the other, or is it, is it, is it even possible to shift someone completely to like, not be that way? Like, you know, like if I'm a high in neuroticism, can, is that a trait that I can actually be changed over time in your experience? Or, or is that something that like, is kind of like, you just have to learn to live with it, you know, and, and find a way around it. Like what, what would you say as a professional? First of all, I love the way, what a beautiful way to start your morning. And even if in the moment, it's like, I'm trying to wipe the sleep out of my eye and you're asking, <laughs> I'm great. But man, what a beautiful way. Gratitude's a superpower. Um, awesome. Yay for you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think that um, there is tremendous capacity for change. What this thing can do is extraordinary. Um, we have our, our sort of certain personalities and, and maybe someone is a little more um, high energy than someone else. Maybe someone is a little more um, introverted or extroverted or what have you. We have sort of these, these personality components uh, to us. And yet, at the same time, I think there is absolute potential to get things going in a different direction. Uh, a, a direction that's more productive and desirable, if that be the case, if someone's interested in that. Uh, a, a really sort of bizarre example, but this is just what my brain showed me, is you take somebody, you, you take some of the, the best actors and actresses in the world, right? 
and they portray this character and they do it so convincingly mm. that you believe that that's who they are, right? And you talk to them as a person and they're the furthest thing in the world from that. Well, you better believe there's some brain chemistry stuff going on as they're accessing and harnessing to portray that character. And if that's the case, and, and some people will say, oh, they're just acting. No, no, hook them up and you'll see brain chemistry changes happening. Actually, they've done that. They've done that. When people, when actors are professional actors are portraying anger, you'll see the brain structures light up when they're portraying depression. So that um, is, is pretty um, powerful evidence of, of the process of neuroplasticity and how we behave throughout uh, the day. Hmm. So it can absolutely be done. I actually know a little bit about neuroplasticity. I, I learned about it about 2017, I want to say. I went through a phase of you know getting depressed. I think I was mentioning that to you last time when we spoke. And one of the things that I learned about was neuroplasticity, about your the ability for you to actually change the structures of your brain, like the, the you know, the synapses, I think is more accurately. I'm not, I'm not an anatomy person, by the way. I know more about muscles than I know about like brain stuff because from bodybuilding, I could probably name all the muscles on the body much easier just because I used to stare at myself all the time. Um, <laughs> so like what I learned about neuroplasticity really though was that you really can change your mind, but you got to be consistent with it. It's like you're breaking patterns. You're breaking your own conditioned behavior. So every time I would have a negative thought about like this looming fear of doom, I would write down, well, what what's the alternative? You know, and how do I know that that's not the actuality? Kind of asking yourself, the questions that would unravel that state so I can go back to, you know, being productive again or being back to being calm again, you know, and then it brings up a kind of this, the reasoning behind why I think I even got into some of those states is contemplating like life in itself can be very, very challenging. I think every human being at some point in their life has to figure out why are they here? What are they here for? Why do they even exist? And if you haven't gotten to, to that point, don't worry, it's coming for you at some point in your life. It might be when you're 60, Who you never know. Everybody has it at different stages in their life, you know, and that was, I had it thankfully young uh, at an early age where I didn't have other things that were holding me down anymore. I had somewhat, you know, financially gained my own independence. And now after that point, you start to realize, well, that game is really, really long, but where, how, and how do I want to stay motivated to play that game for the long run? You know, so for me, like kind of these things around changing my beliefs and changing what I thought about continuously had to come into place. And, and honestly, yeah meditation was my savior in that sense first time you sit down to meditate most people say i can't do it i just can't do it too distracted i would say that's exactly the point it's there to show you how compulsive you actually are and then start that acceptance process wow i can't sit down for 10 minutes without like wanting to be like i gotta pee i gotta eat oh i gotta answer that email i gotta get back to this guy 10 minutes you can't sit down sit still i've literally and i felt that way and I know how other people feel now. Now I can sit down for 30, 45 minutes without moving. And I can I can be totally fine. I'd get up and I'll be like so much more calmer. But I guess where I'm getting to this is like that in me brought introspection as a skill set, which I believe is very important. You know, I think everybody needs to learn how to question their own thoughts and play that sort of third person narrative. Just because a thought comes up doesn't mean I automatically have to assume that this is a real, real thing that I have to then do, you know? to even see that space of like thinking is happening within me, just like breathing and my heartbeat and my vision and my hearing, all these operations are continuously flowing. You're not controlling them. Same as the thought process that comes up. And it's really just that space 
you create by meditating or sitting sat down and doing you know and 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 that was kind of my solution to getting out of these states is like i'm not the state i'm not the feeling i'm definitely not the emotion that i'm feeling i'm i'm beyond that i am the one experiencing it so that yeah. place that quiet place within me is really what connecting myself to that on a daily basis or you know and it's i think that was kind of like and it still is and will continue to be my way of reprogramming myself in that sense like my my personality that's kind of my takeaway i mean from your professional experience like what what do you think about all that is it just hocus pocus in your mind view or what do you think no you're 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 really on on, on point so much of this is 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 really for example when you said um i experienced emotions but i, I am not that so I'm, I'm so much more than that that is so on point and people that get in um they get stuck they get stuck you'll hear language if you listen for it you'll hear language that's reflective of not intentionally but it happens so i can't tell you how many people i've met who, who you know maybe they're coming to me for my services and maybe they're dealing with uh, let's just say anxiety like a pick on you. they're very common yeah yeah and so they say I'm, I'm anxious and I reach out my hand and I say hi anxious nice to meet you <laughs> no, right. I don't say that but you get it right no you're not anxious and way back in the day I mean this goes back decades where I would tell people um, you're not bipolar you're not schizophrenic you're a person with schizophrenia you're a person with bipolar you're not a diabetic you're a person who has diabetes mm. we identify with the pathology it strengthens the pathology weakens the possibility of getting out of it and shifting and moving so um from a languaging standpoint language is powerful um these these are you know you're you're not your emotions you're not this diagnosis you're not i mean there would be so much <laughs> relevance in this for the medical profession you know, you go to the doctor, they're just loading you up with this, this pathology-based language. It's like, no, man, we're people. We're people yeah. for a person who has this. And emotions, you know, I describe them like a wave, like an ocean wave. So they start to come on. At some point, they crest. They start to hit a peak. And then they subside. Hmm. No one is constantly anxious, constantly euphoric, constantly jacked up constantly joyful constantly pissed off <laughs> so emotions are like a wave right they're not gonna last they, they come they build and they go i call them like passing clouds same same difference you know like nothing lasts forever whatever state you're in now you know this too shall pass that that old saying right it's it's surprisingly useful when you're in a bad state it's not something you really want to entertain when you're in a positive state, you know, like when you're having lots of fun, you're like, I don't want this to end. I want this to last forever. I think that's when you're growing up from a child to becoming an adult. I think a lot of that is accepting that, you know, those things don't last forever, the good ones. And then, of course, once you start working and whatnot, you start to realize, oh, I got to pay taxes. I got to pay my rent. I got to do all these other things. And you're like, wow, life sucks. Like, I had nobody prepared me for this because school doesn't prepare you for any of that. Honestly, yeah. my biggest challenge is, is like, why the hell wasn't I taught? how to do any, any of these things that we're talking about in school, you know, where, where's the education really taking us, but I won't go on that tangent. What I will go on is seeing that you are not the thoughts 
you know, how, how important is that in, in kind of self therapy? Like, do you believe in such a thing? Like, is there, is there such a thing as, you know, curing your own self by introspecting? Like, what would you say? Obviously you're a professional that talks to people and if they're coming to you, then they might not have quite yet figured out that that's an, that's something that they have access to and you maybe can help them show that. But to the general, you know, sense of, you know, people, if they want to, you know, start their journey on getting better, like, do you think there is such a thing as self-therapy? Sure, I do. I, I think, um, there are many lifestyle and habits. Well, lifestyle is nothing more than merely a collection of habits. Mm -hmm. There are many of uh, behaviors and habits and lifestyle factors and, and self-therapy things we can do that would be tremendously beneficial for our well-being, physical, emotional well-being. I think there's a point where some of it is it's not going to do it and 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 you're going to have to um let, let's we were talking about trauma earlier let's stick with that example then so a trauma what happens is there's an experience that happens to the person or they experience something right it happens in experiential format mm -hmm. that experiential format then like slams into the brain and and leaves a lasting mark now a person can self-talk self themselves for the next 20 years and that thing ain't going away. Hmm. It's going to take um, the collaboration in an experiential format because that's how the thing got encoded to get that thing recoded. And furthermore, it's going to take an experiential process of um, getting that thing to recode in such a way that the deepest parts of the brain, the subconscious mind is what's accessed. None of this talking therapy stuff is going to do it. None of the self-help, self-therapy stuff is going to do it. 99% of that is conscious level. Hmm. This thing isn't at conscious level. People aren't choosing to feel lousy, conscious. Right. If they were choosing to feel lousy, they would just simply say, I'm going to choose to not feel lousy. And then they wouldn't feel lousy anymore. Yeah, if it was that easy, right? <laughs> yeah. And everybody would be feeling great. And I'd have to go be an accountant or an engineer or something. <laughs> That's funny. But it doesn't so much work that way, right? I mean, it's not a problem. It's not a function of intelligence, of conscious. And um, as such, it requires a much uh, a deeper process experientially to get that to completely resolve doesn't mean there's not value in doing you know a lot of these a lot of these techniques there's certainly tons of value in all all the lifestyle stuff you know exercise sleep nutrition uh, meditation all great stuff and and all stuff that will absolutely help you on your path there's just going to be some things that that folks encounter that they could do all that until the cows come home and it's just not going to get it done. So how would you say we get lasting change or go to the subconscious level? You know, what's the barrier of entry to that? Yeah, that's, you, you know, uh, barrier to entry. Stigma. Stigma is the barrier to entry. Um, that's an area 
not to be dabbled with lightly. Uh, it is extremely profound and powerful and impactful. And it would not, I would not leave that to self. I would not leave that to somebody who doesn't have extensive experience in doing that level of work. And I liken it to this, you know, if, if you had something going on with your heart, you're, you're not going to go to see the podiatrist. Mm -hmm. You're going to see the cardiologist. If you have something going on with uh, arthritis, you're going to see the rheumatologist. If you have something with your foot, you're going to go see the podiatrist. You're going to see the specialist. Why in the world, and I'm passionate about this, you can argue there's a little bit of a bias. Whether there is or isn't, I think the point's going to, is pretty relevant and will resonate. Why in the world would you think it's okay to dabble around with the captain of the ship, the most priceless organ, the brain? Mm. Well, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll see the specialist for my liver and my gallbladder and my appendix, but when it comes to the brain, no, I got this. Let me do it. Are you kidding me? It's nothing to be played around with. So the barrier to entry, hope that makes sense. The barrier to entry, I would argue then, is stigma. Is stigma that when people are saying stigma and ego. Yeah, stigma, I was going to say it's it's very much of an ego play because you don't want somebody to say, oh, there's something wrong with you. And especially in a mental state, because a lot of times, speaking to what we were talking about earlier, like you don't control your listening or your breathing or your vision or, or your, the blood moving through your body. All of those things, when we have a disease or something happens, you know, when if, if, if you're diabetic, for example, like you can offload that as to a third party projection. Like, yeah, it's my, in my body, but it's not in my head, right? But moment it comes to like, hey, your personality or your ego is the issue here. It's actually what you believe yourself to be is the issue. And we need to talk about that. I think it's a place where, you know, not everyone's willing to go there. And if they aren't, then, yeah, you really can't change them. But if they are, they're open to it. Yeah, right. Go ahead. You were going to say something. <clears throat> Excuse me. And to your point, that is, um, hopefully you can edit out my hacking. <laughs> well, that's okay. I leave it raw in the sometimes, too. It's all good. People need right. to see that we're real human beings. We're not polished projects here. <laughs> but, but to that point that's that's i end every one of my videos on linkedin optimize your brain optimize your life we talk about the brain and life it's very intentional and very deliberate yeah the reason why well there, there's a couple of reasons why but in this context the reason why is the brain is an organ and if i can get that message out like from the top of the world I would love to, the brain is an organ, just like your heart can malfunction, your gallbladder can mm. malfunction, lungs can malfunction, your brain can experience dis-ease, it can malfunction, it's an organ, it's biology, why wouldn't that be the case? And if you look through that lens, if you dare yourself to look through that lens, maybe we could start destroying this wall, smashing this wall is what I want to do, of stigma. Man, there's no stigma with it. I, stigma and ego are huge barriers to this, but if we can get the understanding that it's an organ, right? then just like any other organ, it could be optimized, it could be strengthened, which is what I'm all about, and it can also experience dis-ease, malfunction. No shame in it, man. No, I agree with you 100% because a large part of what I post about and what, why I wanted to do any of this is to squash the tabooness about mental health. Like, it's not a problem that we hide and hide from anymore, right? Like, I got into physical health, like bodybuilding and all, and I try to 
you know, push myself to the extremes of that so I can learn as much as I could about it. And, and I realized like, even in that endeavor, when we try to set out to do something physical or, you know, something that's very much going to require all of your, you know, time and attention, you, you start to see that how much of that is actually just in your mind, right? It's not, it's not my body saying I can't do this anymore. Yeah, there's a point of failure where it's just like the muscle will just give out, like your grip will fail. That happens, but not always. A lot of times it's, oh, this hurts, this sucks so bad. You know, so a lot of times what happened with me working out is I was I was always like closing my eyes or wearing like a hoodie or, you know, just keeping my headphones on and really going into my body and seeing like what I'm trying to do and how does that translate into, you know, what's actually happening in, in, you know, in front of me and what I'm thinking about. A lot of that is just, it's an, it's an active meditation in that sense. Before I knew anything about meditation, I started to realize this after the fact that doing something physical, a lot of times people confuse, like, oh, it's good for training my body. I didn't realize this until I stopped training after I finished competing for a while. I, I noticed that my physical activity went down so much that it started to really affect my mental health, which in part led to me, you know, getting more and more contemplative and then depressed because you being really smart, a lot of us have so much more information than we ever had before. We think we know a lot and we think that we can cure everything because we know a lot and we can find an answer on Google 10 seconds. I can Google something and find an answer, right? So we think that we have everything and yes, you do. But at the same time, there's certain things that you can't get away from if you don't practice your way out of them. You know, like there are certain procedures you have to follow. Like for me, like I was talking about earlier, the meditation every day, the gratitude, the working out, the exercising, all of those things, if I don't do them for a few days, I start to notice a huge decline in my performance, in my general well-being. Now, somebody could say, well, that just means you're addicted to that too. Maybe, but at the same time, I'm also realizing that the benefit that I get from doing that is so much more than if I didn't, I'd rather be addicted to that, you know, than not yeah. doing it. So it, it's it's an interesting place. And, and why does it sit so close to me is, yeah, for the last, I'm, I'm part of the generation that's that, you know, for the last 10 years or so, let's go back even, you know, Facebook. And when I was in high school, that's when Facebook came out. But social media has grown up so much and it's such an integral part of our lives. I mean, you and I met off of LinkedIn. I would have never known you existed without it. So it's not that it's all bad. It's just, it has its consequences. You know, it has a certain level of control to your psyche. Like it's programmed to do so. It's programmed to keep your attention, to keep you on there longer to keep you hooked so you continue to be on the platform, right? I'm curious, like, what have you noticed in terms of, like, the trauma that's being created in people's lives from being on social media? And kind of, like, I, I feel like guilt is also involved in there because you sometimes see, like, oh, man, my life is so bad or, like, you know, somebody else's life is so good. You feel guilty about what you have, maybe, or, or the lack thereof, perhaps. I don't even know if that's guilt would be the right word for it, but it's almost like you're not appreciative at all of what you have because you see everybody else and not you. There you go. There it is. Yeah, absolutely. There, there. So what I've seen a lot of is what I'll call a comparative identity, and the way that it gets applied is um, is 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 diluted. So what happens um, is people will go on and they'll see. You know, everybody's posting like, you know, hey, I'm on the the you know the boat with the tropical drink, and hey, you know, look at I'm 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 with this you know movie star, or hey, I'm all these great things, and and they're giving you snapshots, mm. they're giving you highlights, 
of what is truly the highlights of, of, of their life, right? You're getting the highlight reel. It's like, it's like watching baseball highlights and every hit is a grand slam. And, and um, every, everything is a reverse slam dunk. You're getting the highlights. And what happens is as people are watching this, they're scrolling through while they're sitting on their couch or the um, toilet or the toilet. <laughs> it's, it's raining outside and they're like, well, damn, why isn't my life like this? This sucks. What's wrong with me? You know, what's wrong with me? How come I don't have this, whether that's a material thing or just that experience. Right. And so there starts to be this comparison game that starts to develop as a result of social media what's being posted out there and all these positive wonderful things and then you know no one's posting they got a new puppy they're trying to potty train the thing the thing's got to take a leak at five in the morning and it's freezing and raining out in chicago here maybe not in san diego (laughs) you take january in chicago and you're outside with like an umbrella with the dog at five in the morning and you're like man life sucks yeah and go look at your feed and someone's like on a tropical island you know um they're not posting that why aren't they posting when they're when their dog's taking a poop and and it's five in the morning and it's because it wouldn't it wouldn't get that kind of attention right there you go and so there's a lot of um impact that it's having and and this is usually the way it play the comparison game you always come up short yeah, there's always going to be, and the same thing happened with bodybuilding. I learned that, right? Like, cause there's always going to be someone bigger than you. There's always going to be, you can, you're not going to be the biggest person. And so I, I really like took that on earlier in my life to realize like I can only compare myself to me and like the progress that I'm making and the way I looked, you know, a week, two weeks, a month ago versus the way I'm looking now and really just comparing yourself to who you were yesterday, not who someone else is today is more elegantly put by Jordan Peterson in his book, 12 rules for life. Um, and I just, I feel like that's something that we just can't get enough of. So a lot of the times when I'm talking about this, what social media is about, like just introspecting, seeing yourself for who you are and not necessarily, you know, comparing it to everybody else and what they're, what they've got going on. But have you noticed in the last, you know, 10 years or so in your industry, like more and more people because of social media are, you know, starting to come up with these problems? Like, because I personally predict this is not going to be the end of it like this right now, 2020, I think from 2020 and beyond right now, this problem is going to become way, way bigger just because we haven't, we, we didn't come with an instruction manual, how to use social media effectively. This was just dropped on the public. Do what you will, as you may, everyone's got a pocket computer walking around, but human beings are just as dumb as they were in the eighties or nineties, I would argue, right? Like just because there's technology doesn't mean automatically all human beings have become smarter and more effective. That's the hope over time that the tools that we've created, the man has created, is going to help us be better humans. But we haven't gotten to that actualization state yet or that ROI fully. Some have. I can't speak for everyone. Some have. But for the large majority of us, you know, I feel like that's a problem that we're going to have to keep continuing to face as things get more and more crazy. Continue, you know, thinking about current state of affairs, people post on social media and all of a sudden, it could be misinformation that gets massively distributed. And think about the trauma that that creates in someone else's life. Like I can imagine my parents, they're in their 60s. They're still looking at these phones. They don't have perhaps enough knowledge to understand, is this doctored or is this the real truth or is this coming from a credible source? And now think about the stress that that causes in their life. You know, as an, as an older person, you're like, wow, the world's falling apart, man. I'm not even going to be able to retire. 
or whatever it is, you know? So I'm curious, have you noticed a huge trend on, you know, kind of the social media side and that causing more stress and, and like, you know, maybe depression in people's lives? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and in some instances, like you're talking about, unnecessarily, it's, it's junk data, junk info. But yes, I mean, it's, it's um, you know, when they first came out with the slot machine, hmm. what they did, well, let's go back even further. If you go way back uh, and under the umbrella of the behavioral school of therapy, behaviorism, there's a fellow by the name of B.F. Skinner. Okay. He devised what was called the Skinner box. And they would put these mice in there. And they had, so if the, mi- if the mouse tapped on a bar, it got a pellet of food every time it tapped on the bar. In the next box, when the mouse tapped on the bar, it never got a pellet of food. And then the next box over, every time the mouse tapped on the bar, Sometimes it would get a pellet of food after three taps, sometimes after one tap, sometimes after seven taps, sometimes after 17 taps. Mm. And what they figured out was the most reinforcing or addicting um, reinforcement schedule was the random one. The mouse two got a pellet every single time it tapped sooner or later. It's too you know, easy of a game too easy and you're satiated the stomach has had enough the one who never gets anything learned helplessness why bother this other one i might get it i might not Mm. get it when they came out with the slot machines they rigged those slot machines on payout schedules just like that skinner mouse (laughs) oh that's crazy was they create you know talk about a gambling addiction they created the most reinforcing schedule based on behaviorism out of psychology for these mice to create a bunch of human mice so that they keep putting the money in the slot machine. Some, maybe I'm gonna get it this time, maybe I'll get it this time. Um, I don't think for one second that there's not some of that at play with the social media stuff. Oh yeah, I think the people who made Facebook, one of the founders, uh, his name was Chamanth, I don't think he was a founder, but he came on later. He has openly talked about this. He's like, we created a monster. We knew what we were doing. We thought that we wouldn't get into this pickle, like things wouldn't be as bad but they're horrible. People are addicted. I've seen people literally, including myself, I've observed myself, I'm I'm better at this now, where I would be like, oh, I got to do this thing, but I'll open my phone and I'll automatically be on a social media app and not doing the thing that I was opening my phone for because that conditioned behavior is already so hardwired into me that I automatically know two taps here and I'm there, you know, and how much of that is really like creating a a monster of trouble in the future, right? Like, because we don't have a real way of dealing with it yet. And this is kind of the frontier, you know, why I wanted to talk to someone like you. So you, absolutely. So you have that going on, right? You have this whole addictive component, like like, like the people in the slot machines from back in the day, which were like the mice back in the uh, BF Skinner days. Mm. The, the whole addiction piece and, and the way the whole thing is structurally set up and designed to create that. You have comparative identity. So the people are saying, oh, my life's not like that. That sucks. Um, and then you have, you, you mentioned uh, earlier, a little while back about the, the unconscious, the subconscious of some of the stuff getting in. Some of the things that the subconscious is really responsive to are things like imagery, symbols, metaphors, mm-hmm. a number of these things. And as you scroll through the, the, the 
visual stimulation. Um, and then what is the, I mean, again, if you go, I'm dating myself a little bit, but if you, if you go back before Facebook, before social media days, um, what they would talk about the impact of the women on the Cosmo covers, right? Mm. Everybody's airbrushed and they look perfect. And so, um, you get that visual boom, it's hitting your subconscious. That's how right. women, I'm a woman. Why don't I look like that? Man, she's beautiful. Um, so, you know, this goes way back to, to marketing really. And, and so that's playing out at high speed record levels by the consumption of social media. It's, you don't just have to be in your grocery aisle line to get an image of the scantily clad, you know, model on the cover to get a subconscious message. And now it's to your point right there at our fingertips and we're bombarded with it. So yes, don't for a minute believe to, to your listeners, don't for a minute believe that this isn't hitting your subconscious and having some impact. It is. What do you feel about, or what do you have to say about the fact that there are people out there that are in the marketing world who know what you know, who know the vulnerabilities of human beings, but then choose to exploit them to get you know more sales? You know, obviously to me, I want to make money, but I don't want to hurt people while I do it. That's my moral compass. That's my own consciousness telling me that's not good. But how do you feel about that? And, you know, is that part of the driving factor or the force into why you're doing what you're doing? Uh, I, I don't know if that was the origin of the force of what I'm doing, but um, but it certainly plays out. Um, I don't, you know, every person has to look at themselves in the mirror at the end of the night, right? You have to walk in your shoes. You have to live in your skin. Um, I don't pretend to be, nor would I want to be the, um, the business police or the media police. You know, I know for me personally, it's not how I get down. It's not what I would do. It's not the person I would want to look at in the mirror at the end of the day. Um, I mean, I'll tell people, there's sometimes people come to me for my services and if it's not a good fit, I'll be, I'll refer them out. I'll, mm. I'll deliberately like, like I, I kind of screen people. It's like, I, I don't, I'm not interested in your money. Sure. I want to make money. We're, we're all here. You know, we want to make them living. We want to provide for ourselves and our families. And I fall into that category too, for sure. But it doesn't, it doesn't drive me. It doesn't, I'm not mindless about it. If someone's not a good fit for my services, I remember I had somebody who told me that they just want to, I saw something that I could resolve quickly for this person in one visit. And uh, they told me, well, they want to just spend time and really mull things over and explore why and process this and be with you for, you know, it, it would have been months and years the way they were talking about it. I'm like, I'm sorry, that's not the work that I do. I could re recommend you to somebody. I'm not interested in taking any money. I want to get results. I want to get outcomes. Um, so I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's a great question. I don't know that I have a straight answer for how well, that's okay. I just wanted to see where you, your you know, thought process was. I could, I could take it another way, which is like, how does dealing with people that have quote unquote issues? And I don't really want to call that as a negative label because we all have things, you know, we're no, none of us is perfect, but how does that affect Michael? Like hearing people and sort of these crazy things that people go through, it's kind of unbelievable. Now, how does that affect you? Because I know me, I'm a very emotional, 
I'm very empathetic, but I tend to see that that's a double-edged sword because I'm so empathetic. I tend to take on some of those emotions and they carry with me sometimes forward. I have, I've have, I'm having to realize that that's a real problem, you know, that I have to make sure I'm aware of and I keep myself in check and grounded. So how has, you know, that been for you? You've been doing it for so long and you've seen so much. Like, are you at just obviously maybe at a state now that you were when you were starting, but are a better state, so to speak. But like, are you, you know, how are you dealing with all this? How do you deal with hearing people's just shit all the time, man? So years ago, it used to be a little more difficult, but I learned something. I, I, I've been on a lifelong quest to provide much more effective, efficient, uplifting, energizing, transformative processes for people. And so I've continued to say a student. And when I didn't like what I was already taught, I went and became a student somewhere else. Mm. And then when I didn't like that, I became a student. So I like that, but I wanted to add on. I became a student somewhere else. And what I've learned is um, there's whole ways of being now that when I'm with somebody, their stuff doesn't get in. Hmm. Now, in the old traditional way of practicing, where you're like, you know, kind of using empathy all the time, that stuff gets in and you feel like you got hit with a sledgehammer, you know, at, at the end of the day. And it is impactful. And it is why so many people in the therapy profession burn out. But I've learned different ways, higher order listening. I've learned how to take in information on different levels. I've learned, I've learned a lot of really cool and interesting stuff, just to be frank, man, it excites me. I'm not trying to sound, I mean, it excites me. Um, and and it, the impact of it is it doesn't impact me in that way at all, which means I'm more resourceful, energized, and available for the person I'm serving. It's been awesome. And the other thing I'll say about that is this, and this, this I don't know if I've talked about this yet, <laughs> You're going to get this. I don't know if I was ready to go there yet. I don't think I've done a video on this yet. Well, now time, no more, no better time than now, right now, Michael. Let's go for it, man. Here's the thing. You hear tons and tons and tons of things about empathy and how valuable empathy is. And in my profession, that gets pounded into your head about empathy. I think the whole notion is whacked. And I'm going to tell you, that first of all, let's just get operationally defined on the same page. Empathy is really experiencing, even if just a sliver, what someone else has experienced. Metaphorically, walking a mile in their shoes, seeing mm -hmm. their eyes, getting a sense of what they might have been through. Now, when you're talking people who've been through a lot of horror and a lot of tough stuff, they're talking about stuff that's suitable for a Stephen King movie as far as what they've been through. I'm doing what I've been trained to do, which is to be real empathic. By the way, why the hell would I ever want to do that? Well, because if I'm empathy, then I really understand what they've been through as much as I can. And, well, if I do that, then um, I can start to have a therapeutic relationship with them. So, well, if we have a therapeutic relationship, then I can start to help them. Ah, now I get how we do it's it. It's like two steps to get to the end results. There you go. Not only is it inefficient, but here's what happens. They're talking with all sorts of sensory detail about the horror they've been through. I'm being empathic. And before you know it, I'm over here with them feeling. You're on the same train suffering. Same train suffering. And from <laughs> here, 
I'm supposed to help them out of the abyss. Yeah. Um, and the wrong person just got hypnotized. So what I've learned instead is I'm going to stay over here in the light. Thank you very much. I'm going to use these other processes, higher level processes that I've learned to really develop a strong rapport with you, connection with you, collaboration with you. That can be used like a magnet to pull you over into the light with me. And isn't this where we want you anyway? Mm. And in doing so, I don't take on all that heaviness. The primary beneficiary of that is the person that I'm serving because I'm not trying to help them from the same ditch that they're in. I'm seeing clear, I'm fully resourced, fully energized. I got this. And I see how I'm gonna get you into the light with me. Secondary beneficiary is me. I got more energy. I got more more in the tank to serve more people or to use in my personal life, however I wanna do it. So um, it's not having such an impact on me. I'm completely energized by my work. And part of that is scrapping this whole notion of what so many people think about empathy. Um, to be clear for the listeners or viewers, you know, um, sometimes you hear one word and then you think the polar opposite, not being empathic doesn't mean being the exact opposite, like being a jerk. <laughs> but, but what I'll tell you is that ever since I stopped being so empathic with people in my professional work, people have gotten dramatically better, dramatically quicker. Because you're clear on the outcome there. You're not on the same suffering train, so to speak, as we were talking about. Do, this is just purely for me to know, like, is there anything that you can share with me about like those techniques that you use to have that higher order of understanding or like presence while you're listening to somebody? Like, is there anything actionable that I could try, you know, that you think would be useful in that sense? Oh boy, there's a lot to that. Um, well, give I me mean, something that maybe comes to the top of that list perhaps. Yeah, let me think on that. Because when we train on this, it's long trainings. Um, okay. So one thing to listen for here, this will be fun. This will be fun. All Let's, right. do Let's do it. Describe your childhood bedroom to me. Well, I grew up in India at first and I actually, I was in the same room when I slept at night as my parents. And uh, for me, that room was everything. We hung out in there. We played in there. You know, we, we, we ate there sometimes. And uh, to me, that was just a place of kind of coming together and uh, spending time. And then also, of course, growing up and sleeping and then once I moved here, that changed a little bit. I got my own room, but that's what I remember, at least. I remember a lot of family time. And then your first room here, describe that one. It was me and my brother. We shared the same bedroom. We had you know separate beds, of course, and we were most of the time, you know, uh, spending only sleeping amount of time there, maybe playing a little bit. But you got to have, uh, you know, more time outside of the bedroom and really only came to it when we were sleeping. Okay. So there you go. Now... What did I just learn about you? Because I could tell you what, I could care less about what your answer was. You could have told me that the bedroom was like um, a mansion. You could have told me that the bedroom was this big, had all black walls and pictures of serial killers on it. I'm not, I'm not listening to that. I'm listening to, believe it or not, 
for how you interpret the world and how you relate and take in information and learn mm. really resonate. And one of the things I just learned from that, um, so the answer doesn't so much matter, but one of the things I just learned from that is one of the ways that you can really like synthesize and take things in and understand and get things is like kinesthetically, like you're feeling. That's very true. I'm a kinesthetic learner. <laughs> Boom, there you go. Right. So I just got them. Now, <clears throat> what happened there is one example of higher order listening. Most people are going to listen to you for the content. Is he saying that the walls are black and there's pictures of serial killers? Mm. Or is he saying, I'm not listening to the content. I'm listening to how you process information through sensory systems. And what kind of labels do you use to define your environment, perhaps even? Oh, yeah. That, you know, like yeah. when you ask me about a memory, I'm automatically figuring out, like, what do I remember? What significance stood out? in those moments, right? And you're probably listening to some of those descriptions. Well, and, and I didn't even ask you for a memory. I asked you, the, the specific cue was, describe your childhood bedroom. Mm. That was the cue. So there's no leading in that. That's a good point, wow. There's no leading in it. So I don't say, I don't say, what did your bedroom look like? I'm leading you to think visually. I don't say what what did your bedroom feel like? I'm leading you to to experience kinesthetic. No leading. Describe your childhood bedroom. Then I listen if you're if you're processing visually, auditorily, kinesthetically. Hmm. I I get that. Everyone else out there is going to be listening to the content. Hey, you know, was his bedroom blue or black or pink? I don't care. I'm not listening to that. I'm going to get information that is so much more useful and will have relevance. So there, there's a lot, a whole lot to that, but um, I'm glad to see. I think, I think it's really resonating with you. No, it is. And I think I'm starting to see it's, it's almost like when they say read between the lines, you're almost reading between the statements, so to speak, as to what the person is describing. And I think, Attentive listening is that is you know like looking at visual cues and sort of like facial recognition a little bit you know we're intuitively understanding things when we see someone's facial expressions that might not even be spoken about right like there's certain things that we we pick up on so it's so that's so interesting and fascinating to me that you have a method that you know speaks to that and probably for this segment do you, do you want to talk a little bit about like how people can sign up or be a part of that training if they wanted to learn about this and where would they go and find that? Oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so you can go to, best place to go, to two places. You can go to my website, which is michaelcortina.com. Michael, Great website, by the way. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. M-I-C-H-A-E-L, michaelcortina.com. And I spend quite a bit of time on, um, on LinkedIn. So you can always find me on LinkedIn as well. And I'd be happy to talk about master classes and trainings. What I gave you is um, it, it's, a, it's a cool piece. It's a tip of the iceberg. There is so much. You, it blow your mind what you could do with language and listening. I'll have a room full of helping professionals, coaches, therapists, counselors, psychiatrists, nurses, clergy. I'll have a room full of helping professionals. And I'll talk to them how... Hey, I'm going to cover with you guys a little bit how to listen. Yeah, like we don't know how to listen. We've been in the help. Oh, no. Your world's about to get rocked. You wouldn't believe how much more there is to listening. I gave you an example just right. there. But 
listening, there's so much to that. And it gets thrown around generically. Um, all I could do is chuckle sometimes. It, it, it is way deep, dude. <laughs> you you see in the rabbit hole and how, how deep it goes. And I think for most people, we don't, we're not a critically thinking society. And that, that troubles me. And it's partly why I've set out to be different. You know, I've always wanted to be sort of not like everybody else in that sense. It's like I always done stuff that people thought was weird. But at the same time, to me, that was like carving my own path and like having conversations like this is just an is an avenue of, of growth in that direction, right? Like, so I don't want to quite end with you just yet. I have a couple more things I'd like to ask you. I'm pretty sure I can talk to you like for like all day because there's just so many things that I'd like to know. But I'd be, I'd be curious, like if we could talk a little bit about like the trauma that's being created in people's lives through current events. Like imagine all the people that thought that they were going out and protesting for change only to find out that that's something that they got, you know, maybe bashed on or, you know, even shot at or violence ensued on them. You know, a lot of younger people even like they've never seen anything crazy in their life. And now all of a sudden these are happening. These type of events are happening. They're a regular occurrence in the news. And I'm wondering what kind of problems are we creating in our youth and in, in the generations to come and kind of like no different than, you know, another person's traumatic experience in a different context, but this is very specific to current events. Like, what are we shaping our generations to come to be like if their experience out the gate now when they speak up is cancel culture, you know, is is uh, is physical violence when they want to protest? It's What are we creating? What do, you, what do you think about that? I think we're creating an absolute monster. It's, um, you know... I, 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 get, I get concerned about that. I think, um, here's the thing. I think I've said this for years, years and way before any of this mess going on now. I mean, I, I, I probably, honestly, probably two decades ago, I, I was saying stuff like this, that news is news because most of the time it's rare. What does that mean? It means I think there's so much more positivity and support and love and peace. And I got your back and you got my back. And I don't care what race it is. Like, oh, I think there's so much more of that. But that's not going to make the news, is it? Mm. It's not going to make the news when the man helps the elderly woman across the street. It's not going to make the news when, you know, um, um, Johnny, you know, gives Susie his jacket. Um, it's not going to make the news. It's going to make the news when it's negative, when it's violent, when it's because I think there's so much less of that, so much less of that going on. So that's that's what gets the attention. That's what gets the airplay. And it's unfortunate because people who maybe don't know better or don't have enough life experience yet or in combination with being a little bit more shut in now um, aren't experiencing the fact that most of the time that's not the case. I'm not saying it does, but most of the time it's really not. I mean, man, I've been all kinds of places. I've been places where, you know, uh, sometimes my skin color is the only color that's theirs. I've, I've been places where there's, you know, uh, 99, I've worked in places and, and had clients and, and, and staff members and colleagues. It was 99% black. And, and it's me and we got along just fine. I've been in places where, you know, there, there's all whites and, and, and um, 
so does some stuff happen? Yes. But you know what? Why aren't we speaking more to what's more prevalent? And I, I've been out there in the world. I've been to different countries and different places and different settings. <clears throat> and I know a lot of people that have and a lot of people that I've talked to that, that say the same thing. And you know what? There's so much love and there's so much good and there's so much peace between humans. And turn on the media. Good luck finding that. So I'm really concerned about the impact that that's having because I think it's it, it's um, I think it's skewed. I think it's you're seeing totally. You're seeing, it's it's just the way we're talking about with social media. It's just like it's the same concept before it was TV screens and now it's pocket TVs, right? Like it's the same exact thing. And instead of just getting attention on the news, and they have had to react to be fair to the news, they've had to react to the ability of everybody being able to publish their own news now. And so they see what the trend is and what people react to and how much of that is now translated to the mainstream TV media as well, you know? Yeah. And so I, I think it's all kind of part of the same ecosystem of like controlling human behavior through narrative and labeling and, you know, carefully picking words that trigger people to behave a certain way. You know, I think it's really scary yet empowering to me because I go, well, that's just that much opportunity, you know, like I, I tend to be one of the people that will call out the tough stuff, you know, say the things that other people wouldn't point out in a situation just to make sure it's like, have you, are you sure you've thought this through entirely? Like, you know, just cause you have that belief. It's almost like, I like to question people's beliefs, you know? And, and then speaking of that, I'd be curious as to like what your philosophy about life is. Like, why do you believe we're all here? And what mm. do you think we're all here for? It's a very big question, but I'm curious what your philosophy of life is. I think we're here to serve. I think we're here to serve each other, serve one another. Um, at the end of any anything, at the end of a product, at the end of um, service, at the end of an email, at the end of a text, at the end of uh, an emoji, at the end of uh, a conversation, be it Zoom, be it in person, at the end of anything, almost 99%, leave a little fudge room, the end of anything is another human being. And um, I, I think we're here to, to serve in some capacity. Now, how we serve can look very different for very, very different people, and it ought to. I mean, there's a lot going on in this world. Um, so how we serve can be different, but I think we're here to serve. Um, yeah, that, I that's... Like that. I, would, I would agree. I think, my, well, mine is all like, I think we're, we're here to love. We're here to be peace and love and actualize that more and more. You know, look at how much of our environment is taken care of by itself. The ocean wave doesn't need help. You know, yeah. the planet doesn't need our help to revolve. The sun is here for us. It's the solar panel. We're all solar panels. We need that sun. Otherwise, no life would exist. To me, one of the most profound understandings. It's more of like a, a story about something that I can't quite explain. And I don't think anybody can. It's like, why does the moon exist? Well, the moon exists because it has no light of its own. It reflects the sun. When that sun goes around the earth at night on your side of the earth, you have no idea if that sun is actually around the corner. The only way that you know is because of that moon reflecting at night. Whatever created this thought it through to a point 
It's just an idea. Thought it through to a point to give you that sense of comfort, that love. That look, tomorrow is around the corner. It's coming. The moon's there. It's reflecting you the sun. Because without it, the earth would freeze over in 18 hours. We'd all be done. I like that. You know, yeah. and it's like our existence is so big and so massive that we can't possibly comprehend it being the little humans that we are. You you know, so like for me, it's like, yeah, you're here to realize that you're love because something loves you enough to give you that next heartbeat. Each exhale is a reminder that you're loved because you don't know when the last one is going to be. I really love it. I dig it. Thanks, man. I've had a really good conversation with you, honestly. And I don't, I don't really even know if I want to end it, but we're probably going to have to at this point because you probably have other things to do. I'm curious if there's anything else you'd like to share with me or ask me or talk about before we go. Wow. I, I don't, I'm so engrossed in the moment, each moment that we're, we're, um, nothing, nothing comes to mind. I've just really been enjoying this conversation the whole way through and, and staying very present with it. So, um, yeah, I thank you for that. I appreciate the talk. Thanks, Michael. I, I Likewise, it's been very informative, to say the least. It's been eye-opening. And like you said, you know, we were very present with each other. And I think that's what I want more and more of for everybody. And I do believe podcasting is the way to go because in a culture where we're basically told not to talk, we need to talk. We all need to talk to each other, right? We want to communicate. And let's let's do that. Let's find a way that you can do it safely via Zoom like we are sitting on literally two different sides of the United States right. and uh, still being able to communicate just as well as if we were in the same room. So I urge everybody to do that. And I, I think, you know, perhaps something you should consider as well. You know, if you ever want to start the Michael podcast, Michael Cortina podcast or something, you know, I'm happy to help you. Blossom Media is here for you if you ever need us. Uh, so keep that in mind. And, you know, with that said, Michael, again, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time and, you know, agreeing to come on this. I don't know how many people this will touch, but it touched me and that's that's good enough for me. So I thank you for it. Thank you, Michael. Thank you everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next time.